Guitar players have a general aversion to changing guitar strings. Some even fear changing guitar strings. Hell, there are even myths about changing guitar strings. Like, you shouldn't take all the strings off at once. Well, today's show is dedicated to changing strings. When to do it, how to do it, and what myths and advice you should not listen to. So go ahead and grab your guitar, and let's do this thing. Hey, TAC family, this is episode 307 of the Acoustic Tuesday Show, a show packed full of inspiration and fun designed to help you get more progress, fulfillment, and joy from your acoustic guitar journey. Throughout today's episode, I'll be keeping you in the loop with some acoustic news you can use, including how to use and understand a compressor for you folks that are recording at home, and a quick rundown of some highlights from the Fretboard Summit, three builders you absolutely must know about, period. These folks are top-notch, and I'm going to tell you all about them a little bit later. But first, grab your guitar, and let's change the strings. Uh, first and foremost, let's go ahead and go over some of the tools that you will need. Some of the accoutrement. You're going to need, well, some guitar polish, your favorite kind. I'm using Gibson Pump Polish today. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite guitar polishes because of the smell. Not really a great reason, but that's the reason. Uh, you're going to need a polishing cloth, preferably a microfiber cloth. You're going to need some guitar strings. Today I'll be using Santa Cruz Parabolic Tension Strings, the mid-tension ones. You're going to need a pencil. Yes, indeed, a pencil. You can take notes with it, but we're also going to use it while we're changing strings. You're going to need a string winder. You're going to need a tuner so you can get your strings up to pitch. And you're going to need a string cutter. This is a diagonal wild wire cutter. Wire cutter. I die, I die, wow. A a diagonal wire cutter. Um, you can also, uh, Daddario makes a great pro winder that has the string winder and the cutter uh, within it. I left mine at home on accident, so I'm going to use the string winder wire cutter uh, combo here. So uh, before we dig into it, when should you change your strings? It's one of the most common questions I get. And quite simply, you should change your strings when you need it. Uh, if you look at the strings, you'll notice that they become a dull color. And it's kind of from tarnish, from sweat while you play, from general corrosion due to the environment, especially if you humidify your guitars. So it's not directly correlated to how long the strings have been on your guitar. It's really more of what they look like and how they sound. You know, just by looking at guitar strings, you can see the tarnish, you can see the dirt. That's your first indicator. The second indicator is that your guitar loses a little bit of shimmer. It doesn't have that, that wonderful sparkle anymore. So those are two indicators on um, when you should change your strings. It is different for everyone. I change the strings on my guitars every two to three weeks. Uh, I don't know what in my body chemistry causes the strings to pretty much rot, but they just do. I use a coated string a lot because of that, but even still, um, I eat through strings quite a bit. So let's go ahead and dig into changing the strings. And the first thing you gotta do is remove the strings, which brings up an important myth that you need to know about. A myth that is not true. And I've seen this in the comments time after time. You should not take all the strings off of the guitar at once. That's not true. It's just not. And there's still gonna be someone that comments today saying you should never do that. The only time that you should not take all of the strings off at once is if you have a resonator guitar because you wanna keep tension on the cone so it doesn't move. Or if you have a guitar with a floating bridge, think like an arch top, right? So if you take the strings all off at once on an arch top guitar, that bridge is gonna fall off. 
it's gonna move, okay? But in terms of a flat top steel string guitar, you can take all the strings off at once. It's not gonna harm your instrument and it actually provides a wonderful opportunity to clean the instrument. So first things first, go ahead and grab your string winder and let's get the strings off of your guitar. Actually, you're gonna need your string winder and your wire cutter. Now, um, before we do this, I should say, you know, there's a lot of ways you can orient your guitar for changing strings. Um, and I don't have anything fancy right here. I laid out some jerseys to protect the guitar, naturally. And um, I, I, this is just a pile of books under here. It's just literally a pile of books. The pile of books that you see on my desk for the Acoustic Tuesday show, that's what's under the neck. I just need the headstock propped up enough so that I can detune the strings and put some new strings on. So there's some neck cradles and things out there. Feel free to use those if you have them, but if not, a pillow or a stack of books covered with something soft will work just fine. So let's go ahead and take off the strings. So now that I've detuned all the strings, uh, they're slack, right? They sound like garbage because there's no tension on them. All I do is I take my wire cutter over the sound hole and I trim them, or I rather, I don't trim them, I cut them in half. I guess not in half. I cut them over the sound hole, okay? Uh, I take these free ends, I get them out of the way, and then I go to work with the bridge end of the instrument. Now, your string winder likely has a bridge pin puller on it. You can use that. If you do, you can take the cloth and put it gently behind your bridge so that you don't do any marring or scarring of the bridge, right? That would look like this. You just take that string, uh, the little notch in the bottom of your string winder, put it underneath the bridge pin and pull up. Boom, you got the bridge pin out. I take the string end out and I replace the bridge pin, okay? So I know exactly which hole it goes in. But one of the beauties of taking all the strings off at once is you can just reach inside your guitar and pop the pins up. And it's a little bit harder it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do while I'm sitting down, uh, but it does provide that opportunity. Also, if you have to change the battery on your pickup, this is another opportunity to do that. So since I don't have great leverage while I'm sitting down, I'm gonna use the bridge pin puller uh, and get all these strings out of here. This guitar has not been restrung in quite a while, so these bridge pins are kind of stuck. Now, if your bridge pin is stuck, don't continue pulling on it, okay? It's really important that you're gentle with the bridge pins. You don't wanna break a bridge pin and you don't wanna damage the bridge of your guitar. So sometimes you might have to use some internal force by putting your hand in the sound hole and pushing up in conjunction with the string winder, that's totally okay. Just, just be easy on it, okay? Don't use a fork, don't use a pliers. I've seen people use needle nose pliers for this before. Not an ideal outcome because you can actually harm the bridge pins. Now, granted they're plastic and you can replace them, but why put yourself through the trouble? So that's the bridge end of the guitar. As far as the headstock end, all you have to do is unwind the strings. Now I like to use the, what they call the luthier's knot on the end uh, of the strings here at the headstock, and I'll show you how to do that today. Um, there are other ways to do it that make getting the strings off the headstock a little bit easier. Um, it's really different strokes for different folks. And that really brings up another myth in that you should only use, you know, you shouldn't use the luthier knot at all. It weakens the string. You know, I don't know. I've been doing this a long time. I've never had strings break. Um, so I'm gonna continue to use the luthier knot. That's totally fine. Um, if you don't wanna use the luthier knot, that's fine. If you don't know what the luthier knot is, you're in, uh, you're in, in store for a real treat because I'm gonna show you. Now I did notice that my B string actually left a little piece on there. So make sure that the entirety of the string is off of your guitar because 
if you go to restring it and there's still a little string end on it, well, that's not that's not ideal. Uh, I just use the string cutter here and grab the end and get that little end off. Don't get this in the carpet. It sounds really bad when you go in the, uh, when you go to vacuum, and if you step on it. It's not gonna feel good. It's not gonna feel good at all. So one of the reasons I like taking all the strings off at once is it gives you a great opportunity to polish the guitar in hard to reach areas. Namely, where the strings go over, uh, past the sound hole over the bridge and the headstock. You can see this headstock is really dusty. So I don't necessarily use polish on the headstock all that much. I just kind of wipe the dust off. Um, again, it gives you a great opportunity to get in there in places that are normally pretty difficult to get. So go ahead and do that. Also, it gives you a chance to tighten your tuner bushings if you need to do that, uh, make any adjustments to the tuner without string tension on them. Um, it's kind of a nice opportunity to do some, some little maintenance. Plus, it gives you access to the full fingerboard. So if you need to oil your fingerboard, if you need to clean your fingerboard, it's a great opportunity to do so. I'm not gonna do that on this. Um, it actually doesn't look that bad. There's not a lot of caked up stuff on here. Um, you can see some, some wear, but Overall, it looks pretty clean. I don't need to oil it, it looks pretty healthy. Same with the bridge. Uh, gives you an opportunity, if you want to, to take out the bridge pins, oil your bridge. Uh, but I'm gonna go ahead and just mist this a little bit with the Gibson pump polish, and I'll give it a quick little uh, little polish while we're doing this here on, on the show. And, you know, as far as polish goes, there's a bunch of different kinds. You know, I like the Music Nomad stuff. I think that's a great polish. Fender used to make this really wonderful, I think they called it Pro Polish, that I really liked. Uh, but all in all, what you want to make sure when you're polishing the guitar, I'm not going to do the back. I'm just going to do the the... Uh, the top here because that's what we're focused on. But in terms of the opportunity, and rather not the opportunity, but in terms of how to do it, um, just make sure that your microfiber cloth is clean. The last thing you want is some little um, piece of dust or a piece of dirt uh, or, or piece of something, some debris to be on the cloth and then you actually end up scratching your guitar. Now there's tiny surface scratches, that's fine, it's from picking. Uh, if you want to get rid of those, there's a, a uh, product made by 3M called Imperial Hand Glaze. Um, you can use that, use it sparingly. I believe it has a very, 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 very mild high grit abrasive in it. Um, and I say abrasive because that's, that's well, that's really what it is. I think it's like a buffing compound or kind of a final, final buff uh, thing, and it's used for cars. But um, if you got tiny scratches, it'll usually take those out. If you're scared to use it, don't. Just use a basic polish. If you have a satin finished guitar, Polishing really isn't your your bag because the more you polish it, the more it's actually gonna shine up the finish. Um, so if you want, if you want to polish your satin finished guitar, a dry microfiber cloth, a dry clean microfiber cloth would be fine. You can use maybe, maybe dampen it a little bit, not necessary. Generally satin finishes remain pretty uh pretty scot-free because of the nature of them. So now that I have the guitar polished, uh, go ahead and open the strings that you have chosen. Like I said, I'm using Santa Cruz Parabolic Tension Strings. These are the mid-tension strings. And what I like to do is load the strings first. And you'll see why, because it has to do with the pencil. You'll see what I mean coming up here. And in terms of what I do to load the strings in the bridge, it's actually really important. So what I do is take the string out of the package Obviously, you can't do anything with the string in the package. And unroll the string away from your eyes. If you're wearing glasses, it's great protection. These things can get a little bit snaggly, a little bit gnarly, and can fly out all over the place. I take the bridge pin out, and what I do is I take the ball end of the string. And all I do is I hold the ball end of the string against the bridge pin, and I put a little bit of a bend in the string. 
right? So it's kind of just crooked a little bit. Not necessarily 90 degrees, but I guess close now that I do it. Um, place the, the ball end of the string in the intended hole, put the, bri put the bridge pin in and push it down. What that bend in the string does is allows the, the string ball to seat up against the bridge plate. You don't want the ball end of the string getting hung up under the bottom of the bridge pin because that when you go to tune up to pitch, then the ball end slams into the bridge plate and can cause some damage. So by bending the string just a little bit, that actually allows you to get the string seated on the bridge plate right away. A very important step, kind of one that's often overlooked, um, but one that shouldn't be. It's really, really important for making string changing a little bit easier. Now, when it comes to changing strings, there is some fear involved. There's very little you can do to mess up your string change to be honest. Um, just go slow, one string at a time. Again, if you have a, an arch top guitar, if you have a resonator guitar, do not take all the strings off at once. Plain and simple. You're going to mess up the setup of your instrument. Flat top steel string guitar, you can take them off all at once. And the reason I'm saying that again is because, well, it's a very hotly contested topic. Uh, I know a lot of builders, I know a lot of luthiers, and they all take the strings off all at once. They just do. So again, on, these, um, on all the strings, I'm just putting a subtle bend in the bottom of the string so it sits against the bridge plate nice and clean, um, as clean as it can. Don't force the bridge pins. You don't have to hanker down on them. You don't have to drive them like a spike. You're not building a railroad here. Um, quite simply, you're making sure that they are seated in the bridge. No extra pressure is necessary. The string tension actually helps keep the bridge pin seated kind of ironic the way it works. Um, but yeah, it's it's not, you don't have to hammer them in. Don't get a hammer, don't pound them in, don't force them in. Uh, if one of them sits a little bit high, that's totally okay, not the end of the world. Uh, and you'll notice that usually on maybe an unslotted bridge pin or something, uh, usually on the, the bass strings, the thicker the string. Sometimes the bridge pins seat a little bit higher. It's not the end of the world. As long as it's in there securely, as long as the string is stable. Okay, now I got the strings seated in the bridge with the bridge pins all set up. Now it's time for the pencil. And you're going to use this. You might have been using this to take notes, and that's totally fine. But you're going to take the pencil, and you're going to color in the nut slots of your guitar. And the reason we're doing this is because the graphite of the pencil helps lubricate the nut slots. Why do we want that? Well, Oftentimes the nut is made out of bone or some other plastic material that's soft. And when you have a wound string going back and forth through the nut slot, it actually acts as a file. And over time, it can file the nut slot deeper. Not ideal, you're gonna get some buzzing notes, you're gonna get some things that sound maybe a little bit fuzzy, it's gonna be weird. When you add pencil to the nut slots, add this graphite, it lubricates them so it's not wearing on the nut slot. It's gliding over the nut slot effortlessly. And what I like to do is just go ahead and go across the nut slot. This way I get some of that graphite dust in the slot directly. Um, there's not really a science to this. Yes, you're going to get graphite on the nut. Don't worry. Once you string it up and bring it up to pitch, you can wipe that away. Not the end of the world. Um, it, and it really, it does make a huge, huge difference. Um, again, right now it's probably not looking too hot because I'm actually coloring on the nut, but the goal is to get some of that dust down in the nut slot so the strings can glide effortlessly through them. Um, and I do it all at once. You know, I don't, I don't do it string by string. I just kind of do it all at once. That's kind of my, my MO when I change strings is kind of, I batch the things that are the same. 
taking off the strings, putting in the strings, coloring the nut slots, and now it's time to actually string it up. And this is where a lot of folks get hung up. This is where a lot of folks kind of freak out because they're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how much slack to put on. Some people say a lot of slack. Some people say not that much. Where's the sweet spot? This isn't an exact science. I'm gonna give you some guidelines today. You're gonna find other string changing videos online and it's gonna be like, this guy says different. Everybody does it a little bit differently. It's okay. Again, it's not rocket science. We're not machining anything. It doesn't have to be exact. There's just some basic guidelines that I want you to follow. So we're gonna start with the low E string. And what I do is obviously uh, go ahead and orient the tuner so that it's straight up and down. So the hole is kind of, well, I guess parallel. The channel of the tuner is parallel to the headstock. And all you're gonna do is take the string end and go ahead and put it through, okay? Don't put it in the nut slot left. Don't put it in the nut slot yet uh, because you don't wanna get rid of any of the dust that has accumulated in there. Now, what I like to do is just pull the string back a little bit to give myself tension. There's another way that you can do it is measure up to that top string post. And that's the amount of slack. To me, that's too much. I just kind of, I guess, give it a little pull, I guess. Not exact, like I said, you just want some slack, right? You want the string to wind on itself. Now, here's the luthier's knot. Some people don't do this, that's fine. It's not the end of the world. What I do is I take the free end of the string. I put it in towards the center of the headstock. I bend it in towards the center of the headstock. Loop it around the tuner and underneath the string. Pull it tight. Once you pull it tight, you want to loop the string over itself and put a tiny little kink in it, okay? So now, and I'm not gonna use my string winder quite yet, now as you loop the string, or rather you turn the tuner, the string is gonna actually loop on itself, hence locking it in place, the luthier's knot. Um, key thing here, you want the string to be wound to the inside of the guitar for maximum tuning stability and ultimately health of the guitar nut. If you wind it so the string is to the outside of the tuner post, it's actually gonna put pressure on the nut and I've seen nuts actually break. Get your head out of the gutter, okay? Get your head out of the gutter. I'm talking about the guitar nut. I've seen nuts break, right? If you wind it to the outside of the post, you want all your winds to be on the inside of the post and each successive wind should go down towards the headstock. You don't wanna be working towards the top of the tuner, you wanna be working down towards the headstock, okay? And it's gonna seem like it's a little tight, but don't worry, there's gonna be a lot of tension on the string, so the string's gonna move uh, out of its way. It's gonna create a nice tight, I don't know, coil or stack of string. And again, I'm not using my string winder here, I want you to see what's going on. As I get close uh, to maximum tightness here, I go ahead and drop the string into the slot and I just tune it a little bit. I'm not going for pitch right now. I just need the string to have a little bit of tension on it. The final step is to go ahead and trim the string end. I like to trim it as close to the string post as possible. Um, the Daddario Pro Winder allows you to do this way easier. Watch your eyes, because apparently string ends fly around. Um, but I like to go as close to the post as possible. The Daddario Pro Winder allows you to do that because it's a small cutting surface. You can really get in there. Um, so you can use that or you can use a basic winder. Uh, just be careful, uh, not a basic winder, sorry, a basic a string cutter or, or wire cutter. Be careful because this is a lot of metal. You can ding the headstock. You can scratch the headstock with a free string end. They do make headstock protectors. It's just a thin layer of plastic uh, that sits on the headstock so you don't scratch it. 
if that's something that you're concerned with. Certainly uh, setting yourself up for success in that regard is, um, is really important. Now I'm gonna go ahead and finish the head, finish the uh, uh, all the strings, and I'm gonna show you on the G string that when you flip to the other side of the headstock, you do the exact same thing, it's just opposite. Okay, so let me go ahead and finish this side and then we'll go to the other side of the guitar and then we'll tune it up to pitch. Okay, I've got the E, the A, and the D string all installed. They're not tuned to pitch, right? They're still way under pitch. That's totally fine. I just need enough tension on them to make sure they're seated in the nut slots to make sure that I've got enough windings around the tuner posts. In terms of how many windings you need, um, one to two. If you actually look at the headstock here, I've got actually almost three on the low E string. Not ideal, but again, not the end of the world. Now we're gonna move to the other side of the headstock. If you have a typical square headstock with three tuners on a side, you're gonna notice that, well, things look a little different on the other side of the headstock. So again, I'm gonna align the tuner post channel where the string goes through so that it's parallel with the headstock. I'm gonna take that G string and I'm gonna put it through the tuner post and I'm gonna do the same exact thing, the same exact steps, but now they're just a little bit different. But if you remember, you want to take the free end of the string that goes past, that goes through the tuner post, turn it towards the inside of the headstock, bend it towards the inside of the headstock, underneath the string, pull it tight, bend it over itself. Then it encourages you to make sure that as you tune the string, it's going to go, it's going to, go to the inside of the headstock like so, right? You wanna make sure that the windings go to the inside of the headstock. Again, it's important for tuning stability. It's important for the health of the guitar nut. You don't wanna put, put any undue stress on the nut of the guitar. Again, keep your mind out of the gutter. So again, I'm gonna pull that tight and just make sure there's enough tension so that I can get in the, in the, uh, the nut slot there. And then I'm gonna trim the string end. Same, same rules apply. Um, go ahead and tune it rather trim it close to the tuner post. Uh, this way you don't have any free weird ends sticking out. Some folks say that you shouldn't trim it close to the tuner post. Some folks say that you should trim it way close to the tuner post. I guess it doesn't really matter. All I can say is that the more string slack you, you're, the rather the, the longer you leave the string end when you cut it, the more likelihood you are to snag it on something and hopefully it's not your finger because it hurts a lot. It's like getting a, your finger pricked for one of those you know, tests you get at the doctor. Um, so, you know, again, it's personal preference. I would say don't leave your string ends fully dangling. It's, it's kind of crazy, it might look cool, but creates all this weird jangle. I don't know, I guess if you're into that, you can do that, but I certainly don't like that. I like it nice and tidy up on the headstock. So I'm gonna go ahead and repeat that process for the B and the high E string, and then we'll tune it to pitch, and I'm gonna go ahead and dispel yet another myth that's way too common that um, I don't want you to fall victim to. So I'm gonna do this B and the E string, and then we'll talk about tuning the pitch. All the strings are on, it is not tuned to pitch. Uh, for a very specific reason. Again, I like to batch things. 
everything down at the bridge, everything down at the headstock. Now we're gonna tune all the strings. Now, there are some folks that say that you should tune in a specific order for the health of the neck of your guitar. I don't buy into that. Um, it's not like we're keeping tension on one side more than the other. Um, it's not like I'm talking for days and weeks at a time. You're not gonna tune half your guitar and leave the other half slack. So I don't think it's actually that big of a deal. Um, but all I do, you know, flip the tuner on like you would tune your, tune your guitar normally and just tune up the pitch. Now, you don't have to be exact this first round. In fact, you can go a little bit higher. That's totally fine because as the strings settle, they'll kind of, well, they'll kind of stretch. More on that in a second, but let's go ahead and tune this all the way to pitch. And I start from the, the low E string all the way down. And again, we're not talking exact right now. And another reason that I tune, or I don't tune to pitch after I put the strings on is because when I start low, I know that I'm approaching the note. If I, if I put too much tension on the string right away, I might be above my intended note. So if I go to start tuning up, the likelihood of breaking a string is pretty high if you don't know where you're at. If you know you're starting low, then you can only go higher to the note. If you are starting higher than the note by accident, well, you could break a string. So same is true for all the strings. Just tune it on up, standard pitch. don't know where you're at, reference another guitar. There's plenty of videos online that have people tuning by ear. It kind of gets you in the ballpark and lets you know, am I too high, am I too low? Again, not exact. Okay. So now that I have all the strings to pitch, I go back to the low E because what you'll notice is, it's almost a half step flat already. As you bring tension to your guitar neck, it starts to pull the neck forward. So when you tune it once, it's not good enough, right? Because all of a sudden, as we go string by string, there's more tension on the guitar neck. That means the neck's coming up a little bit, not drastically, but it's getting flexed. That being the case, you gotta go through and retune it again. It'll be a little bit easier this time because you're a lot closer. And that'll actually bring me to the final step. And that is stretching the strings. I don't like stretching the strings. I just don't. I mean, I've seen people basically hold the string at the 12th fret and pull. Um, to me, that's unnatural. It's unnatural on the bridge plate. It's actually unnatural for the string. At no point in time when you play, are you gonna grab the string at the 12th fret and pull up, okay? So if you wanna stretch the strings, that's fine. What I like to do is do it like I'm playing. Now, I'm obviously not in playing position right here, but all I'll do is I'll take, say, you know, the string at the five or seventh fret and I'll bend it, like I would bend it while I'm playing, right? To me, that's a more natural way to stretch the string, um, but by no means do you have to grip it with your whole hand and pull it up. Um, that could actually just be not healthy for your bridge plate because it'll actually bury the ball end of the string in the bridge plate and it'll start chewing on that bridge plate. So rather than, again, rather than wrenching on the strings, treat it like you're playing it. Do, it, do the string bending or stretching in a natural way. Just bend the notes. And 
and just go ahead and retune. It's gonna take a couple of rounds to get them to settle down, but eventually they'll settle down. Now, this could take a week, right? You could tune it, you could play it, sounds good. Come back to your guitar and you're like, wow, it's wildly out of tune. That's okay. They're new strings. Temperatures fluctuate, humidity fluctuate. That all affects the in-tuneness of your strings. That being the case, every time you grab the guitar, tune it up. You may already know that, but for some of you that are changing your strings for the first time, for some of you that are new to the guitar, you might think, I tuned this guitar yesterday, it's out of tune already, what the heck? Well, if you just change your strings, there's a high likelihood that it's out of tune. But also, again, temperature and humidity fluctuates, so that affects the tuning of your instrument as well. If your guitar is dry, generally speaking, the notes will become flat. If your guitar is overhumidified, that means the top swells, that means your strings will likely be uh, uh, sharp in pitch. So just a couple of things to think about as you change your strings. I hope this helped you. Um, this is an intimidating process. It feels like there's so much going on. Am I gonna do it right? Am I gonna do it wrong? Practice, you know, practice on your guitar, practice on a guitar that uh, maybe is a kid's guitar, something that's less expensive until you get the nuances of doing it, until you get, get better at it, right? It's a learning process. Each time you do this, you will get better. So my advice to you is try your best not to be scared of it. Treat it as a learning process. It's not gonna be perfect right off the bat. There are still times that I get it a little bit wrong, i.e. my low E tuner post right here. Uh, too many string winds on that. But it's okay, it's just a process, right? So follow these, these steps, follow these tips, and like I said, I hope it helps. And do me a favor, uh, if, if this video helped you, let me know in the comments below. And furthermore, if you find this video helpful and you know that somebody else is having a hard time changing their strings, uh, please go ahead and share it with them. Okay, gotta get rid of the guitar, and it's time for some acoustic news you can use. Now that I got the guitar out of the way, it's time for your first dose of acoustic news you can use. And this first thing is for all of you folks who record at home and you happen to have a compressor, whether that's a physical one or a digital one. You know, I've always been baffled at the controls of a compressor. Now this is ironic because I went to school for audio systems. We talked about compressors at length. And even to this day, the controls still baffle me. There are four basic controls, threshold, ratio, attack, and release. And I've always confused them, all of them, until I found this graphic. This graphic is uh, instructions on how to operate the controls of a compressor, but they use layman's terms. The title of this graphic, think compressor as your mother. Here, I'm gonna go ahead and go through each of the controls and I think, you'll, I think it'll help you understand what a compressor does and how to adjust it. The threshold, the level she asks you to turn the music down. The ratio, how much you turn down the volume after she shouts at you. The attack, how fast you react after she shouts. And the release, how fast you turn the volume back as soon as she closes the door. Now it's time to grab your uh, freshly restrung guitar and take a look and see what the TAC family is working on today. Every single week within Tony's Acoustic Challenge, the TAC family rotates through the five essential skills that help you learn songs fast. Uh, Monday is a technique challenge, Tuesday's a guitar lick challenge, Wednesday's an improvisation challenge, Thursday's is a rhythm guitar challenge, and Friday's is a chord transition challenge. And this week is really interesting because the TAC family is looking directly at Mississippi John Hurt through that lens, through that lens of the five essential skills. So each day is focused on technique, guitar lick, uh, improvisation, uh, rhythm guitar, chord transitions, as I mentioned, but through the lens of Mississippi John Hurt. So as opposed to me redoing the lesson for the show, I thought, 
it'd be really fun to help you and actually show you the actual lesson. Because we put a lot of time and effort into this lesson, and that's not necessarily the reason why I'm showing you. I just think it's a really cool perspective on Mississippi John Hurt, and we did it, well, we did things a little bit differently. So here it is. Today's lick embodies Mississippi John Hurt. From the alternating thumb, to the hammer-ons, into the downbeat, to the overall bouncy feel, and even some friendly dissonance. Yes, we're gonna be adding the sixth degree to a G chord. So we're gonna be adding an E note to a G chord to give it this kind of, well, like I said, friendly dissonance. And I think you'll recognize this lick because it's from the tune Spike Driver Blues, a very popular Mississippi John Hurt tune, which he played in a number of different ways. And this lick is pulled from a great variation that I found that kind of, well, gives it a little bit of blues kick in the pants, I should say. So let's start with the lick. Now, the cool thing is this is based out of a chord position. All you're gonna do is hold down a G chord. Pinky on the third fret of the high E, ring finger, third fret of the low E, middle finger, second fret of the A. Nice friendly finger picking G chord shape. Now for the first measure, all you're gonna be doing is channeling Mississippi John Hurt's thumb. Your thumb's gonna bounce from the low E to the D string. And I want you to just play this along with me. I'm gonna count with it. We're looking for nice steady tone and a nice kind of almost, dare I say, machine-like thumb. Here goes nothing. We're gonna go low E to the D. Low E to the D. One, two, three, that's the entire first measure. And what I want you to do with your thumb is not necessarily be reaching for the strings. Don't feel like you're pushing a button. Let the weight of your thumb fall through the string and that'll give you a nice, clean, and even tone. That's actually a really great exercise as well. So that's measure number one. We're gonna continue that alternating thumb through measure two. In fact, the majority of the first half of measure two. The one beat is there on the low E, the two beat is there on the D. We go back to the three beat on the low E and here's where things get interesting. We're gonna hit the open G string with our index finger on the and of three and hammer on into the third fret of the G string on the four beat like so. That's that friendly dissonance I was referring to earlier, right? So we go one, two, three, and four. Okay, just worry about this hammer-on right now. I know there's more on the tablature, but I just want you to get this crucial hammer-on, this crucial piece, because we're gonna add a little bit more onto it here in a little bit. So I'll go through that one more time. We go one, two, three, and four. Right, so we're hammering on, we're actually connecting with the string on the hammer on, on the four beat. But that's not all that's happening on the four beat. Once we do that hammer on, or I should say as we do that hammer on, the thumb drops to the D string, the middle finger grabs the open B and does a pinch on the four beat, right? So we go. And that's even a way you can practice it, right? So we go two, uh, let, me, let me get the count right. It's one, two, three and four. I'll do that one more time. One, two, three and four. So as that hammer on comes down, you're pinching the D and the B string, okay? And then on the end of four, we're gonna take the index finger and hit that G string held down to the third fret one more time. All right, so I'll do that whole measure too. I'll count along with it and I'll do it pretty slow because it feels like there's a lot going on. We just gotta get the mechanics right. There's actually not that much happening. It's all about mechanics and timing. So here we go. One, two, three, and four, and. 
Okay, I'll repeat that one more time. One, two, three, and four, and. Now we're not done with this kind of uh, dissonance, this almost uncomfortable feeling, because measure three has us pinching the D and the open B string one more time. On the and of one, we hit the open G, so make sure to lift your pinky off, and then we go ahead and hit our thumb on that second fret of the D string. So you're gonna take your middle finger from the A, move it down to the second fret of the D, and your thumb hits that on the two beat. So if we just go through the two beat on measure three, it's gonna sound like this. We're gonna pinch the D and the B, index finger hits the open G, thumb hits that second fret of the D string. So it's one and two, one and two. Thumb goes back up to the low E for the three beat. And then we get another kind of, we'll call it a compound hammer on. Our index finger is gonna hit the open G, hammer on into the third fret again, as our thumb comes down and grabs the D string like so. Right, so another piece of friendly dissonance. So let's go ahead and take measure three. I'll count along with you. It's gonna go one and two, three and four. I'll do that one more time. One, uh, let me start here on the pinch. One and two, three and four. Okay. So now let's go back and play through what we know so far, starting at measure one, going all the way through measure three. I'll count along with you, and we'll go nice and slow so that you can kind of get the nuance of this lick. Here goes nothing. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, and four, and one, and two, three, and four. Okay. And it's, it's okay if you have to repeat that first section a number of times because those hammer-ons into the downbeat are a signature piece of Mississippi John Hurt style. They're extremely effective, but somehow, I know when I was first learning it, my brain confused the hammer-on and the downbeat. I wanted to treat them separate. They're actually the same. We're landing that hammer-on when the thumb goes down for the downbeat. So keep that in mind as you play through this. Okay, now we're ready for measure four. And coming into measure four, when you just listen to it, it feels like, whoa, what is happening? But I think you'll find as you start playing it, it's much more simple than it sounds, which is a really good thing for us. And it has that beautiful, friendly dissonance. So I want you to keep your fingers where they were at on measure three, right? So we have our ring finger on the third fret of the low E, our middle finger second fret of the D, and our pinky fingers on that G string third fret, okay? That's what gives us that friendly dissonance. It's kind of a beautiful yet uncomfortable sound. It's kind of signature to Spike Driver Blues and of course this lick. So this is the fretted position for this entire measure. The only thing that's gonna change is at the end of the measure, we're gonna lift that pinky off of the G string, okay? But we're not gonna do that yet. Let's go ahead and go through the finger picking pattern. Our thumb's gonna hit that low E and then it's gonna drop to the D string. From there, things get kind of, well, repetitive, but in an interesting way. So we go low E, D string, Index finger activates the G on the and of two. We pinch the D and the B string on the three beat. The and of three, we activate that G string with the index finger one more time. The four, we pinch the D and the B again. And the and of four, we lift up the pinky and activate the open G. Okay. 
Now I went ahead and talked through that. It's hard to get a feel for it as I'm talking through it, so I'm gonna go ahead and count along with it, but do so uh, slowly so that you can follow along. So we go one, two, and three, and four, and. I'll slow that down even more. It sounds like, again, there's a lot going on, but there's really not. We're only moving our fretted position once, and that's right at the tail end of the lick. So here goes nothing. One, two, and three, and four, and. One, two, and three, and four, and. Remember to lift the pinky up on the and of four. And now we're in the clear because measure five is just that alternating bass again. Low E, D, low E, D. So there you have it. This is a lick pulled directly from Spike Driver Blues and one that, uh, again, is based on a variation that I heard Mississippi John Hurt play. And it's just kind of, uh, it has this wonderful momentum. And as I mentioned before, it really encapsulates Mississippi John Hurt style. From the hammer-ons into the downbeat, from playing out of a single chord position, and also that steady, steady thumb, which if you can maintain through this entire lick, you are well on your way to emulating Mississippi John Hurt. For your second dose of acoustic news you can use, I wanna highlight some of the builders that made a big impression on me at the Fretboard Summit just last weekend. And I'm gonna highlight three of the builders here, one of which you likely know and you likely love, but I'm gonna save that one to last. Now, these are not the only three builders that impacted me. In fact, on next week's episode, I'm gonna dig into a couple more that are probably not on your radar. So. Um, yeah, the next few episodes, I'll be divulging some information on some little-known guitar makers that you should absolutely be aware of. I mean, these folks are building top-notch, high-level, absolutely beautiful, amazing instruments. All of the adjectives I oftentimes overuse. These are truly magnificent instruments. We're going to start out in Italy. Uh, Noemi Scambri, and I hope I said her last name correctly. It's spelled S C H. A-M-B-R-I or E-M-B-R-I. I'm sorry for the misspelling. Noemi Scambri, Noemi Guitars, N-O-E-M-I. Um, I spent probably about an hour with one of the OM guitars she brought and it had an enormous impact on me, um, both in sound and in looks. This guitar was responsive, it was lush, it had these wonderful supportive overtones, it had clarity, it was well balanced, it played incredibly well. I found it to be like hand in glove kind of playing where I just felt effortless. Um, this guitar, like I said, it had an enormous impact on me and this is the, I wanted to feature this one first because it's probably the guitar that I spent the most time with. And in terms of visually, the aesthetic was, was Drop dead gorgeous. Um, very classy, really interesting lines, really clean lines um, from the bridge design to the way the cutaway interacted with kind of the sound hole motif. Um, very subtle things, but really um, clean and classy and beautiful. Um, even just some subtle rounding of the headstock edges that caught the light and just. Uh, I can't say enough good things about her guitars. I uh, had a great chat with her. A uh, huge thanks to Isaac Jang for making the introduction. Um, so I wanted to listen to a few of her guitars here on the show so you can kind of um, get a sense of how really 
beautiful and lush they are and how responsive and powerful they can be. And we're gonna actually start out with the smallest guitar that she makes, uh, the Noemi Parlor guitar. Uh, this is a small guitar, but by no means is it small in tone, by no means is it small in volume. Let's go ahead and listen to this Parlor guitar by Noemi Scampri. We're gonna listen to one more of her instruments. We're gonna take a listen to the OM model. We'll call it the big brother to the parlor guitar. Uh, really a, a different instrument, uh, but it really showcases how intricate her guitar is, how articulate her guitar is, and how lush the set of overtones that she manages to get out of the instrument. I don't know if it has to do with the way she voices the tops. I don't know if it has to do with how she braces them. I don't know what it has to do with, but it is pure magic. This is an OM guitar that she made that has Brazilian rosewood back and sides and an Italian spruce top. Just lush and beautiful. Uh, this, this particular playing sample is brought to you by Dream Guitars, so let's go ahead and give it a listen. Now it's not often you get to see a small bench luthier build a guitar from start to finish, but Stu Mac, in conjunction with Michael Bashkin Guitars did that very thing. They documented a guitar from literal blocks of wood to end product. This video is about an hour and a half, and I'm gonna show you just a small piece of it here today. But first I wanna talk a little bit about this guitar because Michael Bashkin is the second builder at the Fretboard Summit that knocked my socks off. I'm talking socks were knocked off through the wall. Um, the guitar that he made in this video was on display at the Fretboard Summit. I got to play it. I got to take it to a private room and play this instrument, again, Isaac Jang, thank you for the introduction to this wonderful guitar. This guitar was, um, you barely had to touch the strings. It, it freely offered sound. Um, I believe the back and sides are Palfero. I believe the top was some sort of Alpine spruce. I, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure, so I shouldn't actually just shout out what the top may or may not be. Uh, it doesn't matter, because this guitar was um, powerful, but also delicate. A wonderful balance that he achieved. And I just, I could not believe how light of a touch you could bring to this guitar and how much sound it was pushing. Uh, and I'm not just talking volume, I'm talking tone and just beautiful round notes that, that were, were intricate in and of themselves, but very supportive when you would play chords. Um, 
a wonderful instrument. You're gonna see it being built here in just a small clip from this video. Again, this video is about an hour and a half. And if you have the time, please check out this video. Pull it up on a Sunday night, grab a beverage, and just sit back and enjoy the process. Uh, let's look at a small clip from that video right now. If a guitar top had no braces on it, then either you would have to make the top so thick that the guitar wouldn't sound very good, or if you did thin it out, then the top would just completely disintegrate and fly apart. So the braces perform several functions. One is to add structural integrity to the top so that it can withstand the tension of the strings for decades, if and hopefully longer. But it also just distributes the stresses and the vibration that's going on in the top in different ways. So different bracing patterns will sound different to a certain extent. So that's something that most guitar makers will pay careful attention to. There are other bracing patterns like radial bracing, lattice bracing, and all of these patterns work. They all have a little bit of a different balance, a little bit of a different EQ. And in my opinion, an underbraced or even a lightly braced top, it's a fine line. You don't want to go too far because there's a point at which too much information can be introduced into the guitar top and it might not be that the sound that you're after. I'm fitting the sound hole braces and I use a different species of spruce, one that is much stiffer than the Engelmann spruce. This is Sitka spruce. And I'm using these braces around the sound hole because I do want more support. I'm gonna apply the first brace to the back of the guitar. And this is called the back graft. And I use a piece of Cortison spruce. In this case, the grain of the back graft is running this direction, which is gonna be perpendicular to the seam of the top and this way it acts like a stitch to reinforce that back joint. And the last builder I wanna highlight from the Fretboard Summit is Collings Guitars. Now, I have not mentioned Collings all too much on the Acoustic Tuesday show. And that's quite simply because I don't necessarily have a lot of experience with their instruments. Um, and that's not necessarily by choice, it's just kind of by happenstance. You know, most of the stores that I have worked for were not Collings dealers, so any any encounter I had with the Callings guitar was generally a, a used instrument. I've always been impressed. I've always been impressed by the sound. I've always been impressed by the, the, the fit and finish. I mean, these guitars are like pin neat. I think I just made up that phrase. Anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> but I had a chance to spend some time with Steve and Nully from the Callings crew uh, at the Fretboard Summit, and I was mainly targeting their Dreadnought instruments. I played a Mahogany Dread. I played a Rosewood Dread. Whoa, baby, we're talking hot rods here. We're talking guitars that have been strung up for maybe a week that have tons of character, tons of volume, tons of uh, wonderful tone to offer. And these are new instruments that will only get better with age. And the reason I know that is because I had a chance to hang out with Bob Minner 
It was great. It was like two old friends coming together. It was so great to meet Bob, have a chat with him, share some laughs. But he brought his Callings Dread, and it was a year old. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. OMG, as the hip kids say. This guitar was... You don't want to talk about a hot rod. I mean, this guitar had, you know, all the things, you know, think of a car and all the things you would do to make it perform better. I think it's true for this. What what am I even saying? What kind of parallel am I drawing here? <laughs> you know, you, you, you get a souped up car, a hot rod. This was the guitar equivalent of that. That was a way easier way to say that. Um, this guitar knocked my socks off. Uh, the Bastion guitar knocked my socks off in a different way. I'm talking traditional bluegrass dreadnought here. This guitar had it. It had the mojo. It had the power. Holy smokes. Uh, so I, want to, I just want to take a second and listen to Bob play A. Collings guitar. This is, I don't believe this is the exact one he brought to the show. However, I think it's a great example of how wonderful these instruments are and how consistent they are which is difficult to achieve when you're dealing with organic materials, you know, wood, it's all different. It all sounds different. For whatever reason, they've got the recipe to make a consistent instrument, a consistently wowing instrument. So here's Bob playing a Callings guitar. I did an absolute horrible job of introducing that video. I quite simply introduced Bob playing a Callings guitar. I probably should have been a little bit more specific. Uh, what he was playing in that video was a wonderful slope shoulder dread, a CJ45T. And talk about lush, I mean, just a, just a great guitar. I'm kind of hooked on the lush adjective right now, trying to bring it into the fold so I have some new adjectives. Anyways, uh, with that, I think it's a great time to wrap up the Acoustic Tuesday show for today. But first, let's take a sneak peek into next week. And next week, we're going to have a look at the magic of learning songs and, most importantly, what could be missing from your approach. This will be a very important episode of the Acoustic Tuesday show. You likely got into guitar because you wanted to learn to play a song. But there's something that's missing. I'm almost sure of it. And that's what we're going to talk about next week on the Acoustic Tuesday show. Remember, you can catch Acoustic Tuesday every single Tuesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And before I let you go, <clears throat> excuse me, before I let you go, please do let me remind you of this. Your guitar success, however you define it for yourself, is directly related to your guitar routine. So please invest the time in developing your guitar routine and make sure to have fun every single day that you play. 
Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for sharing your time with me. And I'll see you next Tuesday on the Acoustic Tuesday Show. Cheers to you. Be nice and play guitar. <laughs>